Welcome everybody who is joining us online, all of our campuses. Let's just, glad that you guys are here. Glad that you're joining us today. I'm really excited about the word that God has given uh, me for us this, this, uh, this day. Um, a message that I'm calling, You're Invited. You're Invited. You are invited. How many introverts do we have in here? Do we have any? It kind of seems like a full poly question because it's like if you're a real introvert, you're like, I'm not raising my hand. Like, that's not going to happen, right? What about the extroverts? Any extroverts in here? Yeah, see, that's typical, right? You're going to hoot and holler and be excited that you're an extrovert. Um, I became aware of a word I've never heard of before. Um, Kyle Heineke uh, helped me out with this. Uh, ambiverts. These are people that strive, that long to be in communities, but then immediately need to regress into time alone by themselves with their puppy and a Netflix show. Any ambiverts in the room? Okay. No matter who you are and how it works, um, just the way that we're wired as people, uh, regardless of our social preferences, we all enjoy an invitation, Right, extroverts get ex- very excited about an invitation to come join a party or a gathering or whatever. Um, introverts are like, I appreciate the invitation. I'm going to stay home, but they're better that they were invited. Right um, now, imagine this: imagine getting an invitation from celestial and prophetic alignment. Hello. That's kind of a wild invitation. Normally, it's like a text message, like, Hey, do you want to come over and hang out, eat some food and stuff? It's like, Yes. I do want to do that. But imagine getting an invitation, what did I say, from celestial and prophetic alignment. Y'all, we're going to have to have Christmas in September because we're going back several, de- several years. We're going back a long time. Uh, it goes back to where uh, Daniel was a part of the Jewish captivity that had been uh, taken place in Babylon. And Daniel, having the heart of a prophet, started sharing the things that God was doing with the scholars, with the astrologers, uh, with the wise men of the Persian Empire at the time. And so here you have him just kind of disclosing like, hey, Daniel, what are you reading? Man, it's kind of crazy, but we have this king that's going to come, this future coming king, and all of this scripture is pointing to that. And they're like, whoa, let, let, let me see that. And so they're reading through this and they're deciphering and learning. Me and the band were talking about this uh, in the back, trying to figure out exactly how far removed Daniel sharing these things with the Magi, as they were called, to the point where Jesus came. And we were thinking it's probably about 600 years. 600 years of these men and women who are not Jewish studying the prophetic foretellings of what would happen until one day the stars align like GPS constellations triangulating a point where the king of the Jews would be born. And they show up on the scene and they say, hey, look, we studied, we looked at all this stuff and it all pointed to this moment and then all the styles aligned to this moment. So we're here to see the, the Jewish king to which Herod is like, ah, uh, interesting. I have not heard of this. If you find him, let me know. And, uh, and so they appear. Imagine Mary and Joseph sitting in a cave with Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, when this entourage walks in the door. Now, and traditionally in, in, in American Christian culture, we see it as three wise men. Why? Because of the three gifts that were brought. But in Jewish tradition, it was actually... 
12 sages, 12 magi that had shown up at this point. And so you're in your, you know, you just gave birth to your baby and then all of a sudden these 12, these 12 people walk into this space and they say, hey, so according to what we've studied and what we've seen, this is the place where the king of the Jews would be born. And they say, where is he? Here he is right here. Is there anything special about him? Well, here's the thing. I'm a virgin, and I just gave birth to this child. And they're like, well, that satisfies one of the stipulations, and so this must be the right guy, right? Kind of an outlandish, uh, outrageous claim. And, um, and, and, and you have to imagine, you have to think. So in the Old Testament, there are a significant amount of prophecies that would foretell Jesus would be who he was, that he would do the things that he would do. And I was reading an article last night uh, that was talking about the statistical probability of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies, okay? So let's start with like one. If, he, if, if, it one, if they satisfied one, um, oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, there's a vast amount of people that can be born in Bethlehem that, that that pot is pretty large, but then he will spend some time being raised in Egypt. Okay, so how many Jews who are living in Bethlehem are now spending their time being raised in Egypt? Oh, and then his hometown will actually be in Nazareth, which is actually not a very big town. It's a pretty small town, right? So just in three satisfactory you know, uh, uh, three satisfactions of prophecies in Old Testament, we've narrowed it down significantly, okay? So the statistical probability of landing eight of them would be one, or it would be 10 to the 17th power. So also 100 quadrillion, one in 100 quadrillion. So to put that into perspective, um, there's a mathematician that was trying to figure out the statistical probability of all this, and he said, if you were to take the entire state of Texas, okay, Texas, if you drive from El Paso to Texarkana on the speed limit, you have driven 24 hours and you still haven't left the state of Texas. So it's kind of huge, giant state. Take the state of Texas and cover it with silver dollars, two feet deep, okay? Then take out one of those silver dollars, mark it, throw it in, mix the whole thing up, blindfold this dude, and the probability of him grabbing that coin is the same probability that one man could fulfill eight of those prophecies. He said, now, if you were to extend that to 48 of those prophecies being filled, it would be 10 to the 157th power. Just to fulfill 48 of these things that were written on these books separated by thousands and thousands of years. Guess how many prophecies in Old Testament scripture Jesus fulfilled? 351. That's God flexing. <laughs> That's just like, the, in other words, it is impossible. It is impossible for one person to satisfy all those things. And yet he did. And that is exactly what led this posse of people to this moment at this time. And what did they do? They, they were invited by these prophecies, invited by astrology. I don't even know how that works. 
I'm going to have to ask them when we get to heaven someday, like, hey, how did you figure that out? Um, and they're invited into this moment to see the Jewish king, the king of kings. And what did they do? They brought gifts, right? They brought gifts. They brought what? Gold. Why? Because gold is a gift fit for a king. Uh, imagine Mary and Joseph sitting in a cave. They have no room in the end. Room in the end. They're, they're just like, I mean, this is like horse stalls where they're having their baby. And, um, and these guys walk in and they just drop like a sack of cash, basically. You know, like there's some gold. That'll be helpful. That's nice. I appreciate that. Uh, what else? Uh, frankincense. Frankincense uh, was, um, was a spice that was used in uh, temple like sacrifices. It was used in, in just Jewish tradition as a fragrance uh, that the priests would use. And here they, you have them bringing the priest of priests this, this gift. But then the third one, myrrh. Myrrh, it's just a weird word to even say. What is myrrh? Well, traditionally, myrrh was an, an embalming fluid. It's like, oh, well, that's an interesting choice for a gift that's fit for a king. But you have to realize right? These men knew exactly what was prophesied of Jesus, and they knew that this king was destined to die. They knew that. I don't know if it was a symbolic gift in that moment. I'm sure it has other properties that are useful as well, but primarily being embalming fluid, it's like, man, that's, that's intense. And, and, and you think, what, why? 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 Why would he, why would they bring that? It's because he must die. In order to fulfill what was told of him, he has to die. This baby would grow up to be a man. Um, all of God wrapped up in the body of human flesh. This is God who has created all things, stepping into the very creation that he made and lived a perfect life. And no sin, never did anything wrong, never did anything that would condemn him, and yet he was condemned, right? Pontius Pilate's standing there, and he's saying, look, I don't see anything wrong. He's never done anything wrong. And what did the people shout? Crucify him, crucify him. And so he washes his hands, and he's like, dude, his blood's not on my hands. Like, this is all on you guys, because he saw nothing wrong. And then he was beaten, and he was broken, and then he was crucified, hung up on a cross where he died buried in a tomb, but y'all, he did not stay in that tomb very long because three days later, what did he do? He rose from the dead, witnessed by over 500 people, including his disciples, that believed so significantly that Jesus was God, that he was he, who he said he was, that they would then go give their own lives in order to support the gospel of what God had done to rescue us. Why? He did it so that we can experience life, so that we can experience life like we've never experienced it before, so that we can experience his best for us. Life eternal. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, man, that's right now. That's not someday when you get like a magical, awesome body that flies and stuff. No, eternal life is experiencing this relationship with God. Jesus had to die so that you could live. That's why. And they knew that. 
They understood that because they read Isaiah 53. Oh my gosh, please go read Isaiah 53 and look at the intricate detail with which God prophesied Jesus would go through this crucifixion. It is mind-boggling. I wish I had time to do it, but we don't have time to do it. And so we start here at the beginning of this talk with an invitation, an invitation. They were invited. They came bearing gifts. If you're invited to a party, what's the first question you ask? What can I bring? What can I bring, right? It's usually motivated by what I want to bring. You know, it's like, I made a great potato salad. It's like, sweet. I guess you can bring that. But this, this, this begs the question, God, if you've invited us into this relationship, if you've invited us into this life, what do you want me to bring? What is it that you want? I, I think that God wants the absolute best for you. That all of you would be able to experience all of him. Jesus was asked point blank at one point. He said, somebody said, hey, what, what's the greatest commandment? What's the best thing we can do with our life? And he said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Why? If, if God himself is the greatest gift that he could ever give to us, then it would make sense that he would want us to be able to experience him. That if we experience more of him, then we find more joy, we find more satisfaction, we find more excitement, more purpose, more passion, more life. So the question that we're gonna ask today is, what, what can I bring? To the king of kings, to the one who's given everything to, for me, what could I possibly bring for you? Uh, we have seven things that we'll go through, and uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. God, thank you. It's remarkable to think about the things that you have done, impossible, miraculous, amazing things. And, and this morning, for today, just pray that you would breathe a sense of excitement into our heart, that you would ignite a passion to care about the things that you care about and that you would create a longing inside of us for you and for nothing else. Because God, only you can satisfy. Everything and anything else will leave us wanting. But when we come to you, you said that you are, are, are like the water that quenches a thirst forever. And so God, we're thirsty. We confess we're thirsty. We pray that we would drink deep from your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing, what can we bring? What in the world, God, do you want? What can I possibly bring you? The first thing is this, pre your presence. It's possible to be here, but not present. I make a lot of people very angry all the time uh, because uh, I ignore their phone calls. And it's not like this malicious, you know, you pull out your phone, see, it's like, sucker, <laughs> you know? No, the, the, it comes from a conviction. I feel like a dying conviction, um, to honor the person that I'm with. So I'm, if I'm sitting here and I'm having a conversation with Pastor Kyle, right, and I'm like, you know, we're, we're engaged in this and my phone starts ringing, I'm not going to answer it. Because what happens if I now answer or I get a text message or whatever, Kyle's telling me his heart. He's literally crying, right, unveiling his entire sinful nature to me. And, um, and, I'm, just, and I'm just like texting. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hear it. I hear it. I don't. 
I'm not present. I'm there. I'm just not present. And so God wants our presence. He wants us to be here, but he's a gentleman about it. Um, in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's invited. He's, he's, he's opened the invitation for you to come and just experience him, um, but to do it in a way where, like that song was singing, right? A perfect union, nothing in between. That, that I would be involved as, as I sit down to, to read your word, as I sit down to write in this journal, to go on a walk, um, that I would just be present, that I recognize that you're here and you're moving. But not only that, just the fact that you all are here right now in this room, online, in our campuses, the fact that you're here, there's something powerful that happens when, when we're all gathered together sitting in the presence of God. I know for me, like it's just, it, it, it encourages my heart in, in huge ways and kind of leads into the next thing that we can bring, which is reverence. Reverence, the second thing we can bring. Uh, this is reverence, not just for a king, but for the king of kings. And there's only one passage of scripture that I feel can really root the, the, the reverent heart from which I'm going to approach this King of Kings. It's in Revelation 19. I listened to Johnny Cash read it this week. I cannot do the same justice that he does, but I will try. You guys ready? Here it goes. Revelation 19, 11, it says, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes his war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, which is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Man, if that doesn't inspire a sense of reverence for who exactly this Jesus is, I don't know what will. The idea is that we would bring a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, a sense of high esteem. And that's what I love so much about singing these songs. When we come together and we sing these songs, it's powerful because I forget so easy. I forget that God is who he said he is. I forget that his, his love is wild for me. I forget that, that he has welcomed me home. I forget these things, but when we come together and we sing these songs, man, it reminds me of just how powerful, how amazing, how wonderful this God that we serve is. Reverence, reverence on your, on your knees and your heart blown away by the fact that this God would love me, that this God cares about you, that this God would invite you to come experience relationship with him is amazing. Next thing, holiness. What can we bring? Holiness. I feel like this is something that is beginning 
to lose weight in our culture. The idea that God is holy, he is set apart. There is nobody like him, perfect in every single way. And, and, and I love this because I feel like we get a glimpse of what experiencing that holiness feels like in Isaiah chapter six. I, Isaiah got to experience him. It says this in Isaiah six, I saw the Lord, enough said, right? Like, whoa, I saw the Lord, right? Remember Moses? He would go and meet with the Lord and he would literally, his flesh would become luminescent and he would come down from the mountain and all the Israelites would be like, nope, don't want to look at that. That's crazy, you know? And so he had to wear a cloak. He had to like put a hoodie on just to like, like so the people of Israel wouldn't freak out. And he didn't, he only got to see the Lord's backside. He's like, I want to see you. I want to see all of your glory. And he's like, ah, you can handle my back, you know? And he passes by. And, but then you have Isaiah. I saw the Lord and my eyeballs did not explode. <laughs> Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. Could you imagine? Like, the foundations of this building shaking at the very voice of the Lord. I'd be like, y'all, this brick is not gonna hold. It's all coming down. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Holiness. Here's the amazing thing. In 1 Peter, God calls us. What does he say? He says, be holy as I am holy. That's a high charge. That's an incredible task to be holy. Why? Because he's some kind of narcissistic dictator. Follow my rules or else. No, what does he want? He wants the best for you. He wants you to experience life to its absolute fullest, to live in the power of who you are now. In Colossians, the, the Apostle Paul goes on this huge bent where he talks about all the things that you used to be. This is who you used to be. This used to be characteristics of, of your life. But now in Christ, this is who you are. So live in holiness. Live in the life that God has done everything to bring to you. And, and, and then he wraps it up with like, and really whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And there's, I just love the freedom of a verse like that because you can literally do anything just to the glory of God. Now, the thing is, um, it's hard to do what God has asked us not to do, right? He would tell us to not do things for our own safety, for our own protection, for our own goodness. And so it's gonna be really hard to lie to your parents to the glory of God. It like doesn't really work out very well that way, you know? Um, it's going to be really hard for you to be sleeping with your boyfriend to the glory of God, right? Why? Because God wants to preserve the beauty and the incredibleness of a marriage that has been set apart, that is holy, that is beautiful. He wants more for you. 
It'd be like walking around in prison clothes when you're not in prison anymore, <laughs> right? You got your orange getup, and it's like, Kev, hey, man, um, you don't have to wear that anymore. You know, you've been set free. And it's like, yeah, but I like how loose they are. It feels comfy, you know. The slippers, you kind of get used to them, you know. You don't have to tie shoes anymore. That's kind of nice. It's like, bro, get yourself some Nikes and some Levi's, you know. Like, it's time for you to live. That would be kind of the same idea. The, the, the idea is that you have been washed white as snow. Isaiah in that passage later on, he's freaking out. I cannot be here in your presence. And God's like, why? Because I am unclean. And he's like, well, let's take care of that. And he grabs this coal and he touches his lips. He's like, oh, your lips are the problem? Cool. You are now washed white as snow. Jesus accomplished the same thing for us when he died and then rose from the dead. And when we put our faith, when we put our trust in, in the fact that he was who he says he was and he did what he said he would do for us, then the Bible says, man, you become washed white as snow, which is a beautiful thing. So what can we bring? Man, bring holiness. You have been given holiness. Now you get to bring holiness back, which brings us to the next one, your gifts. I love the idea of these gifts. So kind of think about it in, the, in, 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 in these terms. If you didn't have a car and I gave you a car, how pumped would you be? Be like, I'm excited. This is amazing. The true story, this actually happened to me. I actually didn't have a car and somebody gave me a car um, and I was blown away. Like, oh my gosh, you, are you kidding me? This is amazing. And uh, you would be pumped. Now for me, imagine my excitement to ask you, so could you give me a ride somewhere? You'd be like, yes, get in. You know, like you'd be pumped because you'd just been given a car and my blessing to you now is a blessing to me because now you get to give me a ride to where I want to be. It's kind of how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, right? We just spent the last three weeks, Pastor Levi and Jenny taking us through what it looks like for us to uh, be, be a place, be a home that's hospitable for the Holy Spirit. And, and with that, the Holy Spirit brings gifts that have been freely given to every one of us. Every one of us have been given different, different gifts to what? To edify the church. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Building up the church. To, to use these gifts in such a way that, that they... Um, better the church, that they enhance the church, that they enlighten the church, that they lift up the church. These are beautiful things, gifts given to you that you essentially are able to give back to him in a way that honors God but encourages everybody else around you. And my wife and I were actually going through, we've been doing a lot of studying through the end of uh, 1 Corinthians and Paul goes off. He talks about all these spiritual gifts and all the amazing things that, that, he has, that, he, that he does through those things. But Paul really harps on, not harps, he really like, like um, puts a stamp on the gift of prophecy. And he's like, here's the thing about prophecy. When you're speaking truth over a person's life, whether it's an encouragement, 
or you know, something that God has laid on your heart, something for the future or whatever. When, when, you, when you are speaking prophetically, it has a way of building up the church in the way that nothing else can. So he's like, so of all the spiritual gifts, what you should long for is prophecy, to be able to speak truth, to be able to encourage uh, in a powerful way. So gifts, so we've got our presence. He wants to bring our reverence, holiness, gifts. Next one, your service, your service. Jesus says, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. There's something powerful in that. It makes me think of Jesus, right? So he had invited all of his disciples into this meal, right? They're gonna experience Passover together. And, um, you know, he, at one point in the meal, there's this awkward moment where Jesus is like, hey, Peter, come here. And, and he gets down on his knees and he takes off his shirt and he dips it in a bowl of water and he starts washing Peter's feet. And Peter's like, whoa, not comfortable with this. I'm not okay with this. Like you being God Almighty, I am not worthy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus, Jesus responds like, no, this is what we're doing, right? And Peter's like, wash all of me. He's like, I'm just gonna wash your feet, bro. That's, don't, don't make it weird, okay? Um, and so Jesus takes the heart of a servant, right? He is serving the needs of the disciples because he's like, your feet are stinky and I need to take care of them, right? And, and it made me think of um, a moment when... Um, I was, I was invited over to Pastor Levi and Jenny's house and eating dinner and just hanging out. And then it was kind of a bummer because at the time I had just broken my hand in a mountain biking accident and my hand was just a wreck. And so night is over, I'm getting ready to head out and I go to put my shoes on because I took them off when I came in the house. I go to put my shoes on and I'm trying to tie my shoes. And he's like, wait a minute, you can't tie your shoes. Your hand is broken. And I was like, "Ah, I can do it. It's just going to take a while. He's all, stop. And he just leaves. He goes upstairs, comes down with a pair of sneakers. Not just random sneakers. These are his shoes. They're literally his shoes. And he's like, here's the thing. You don't have to tie these shoes. You could just slip them on. I'm not much of like a sneaker head. My son has, has drifted far from the tree in that way. Um, he, he knows the world. I don't know the world. Uh, but they were Adidas Boosts. And so, like, they're basically like socks that have soles on them, and they're very comfortable. And I just thought, you know, okay, I'm not much of a sneaker guy, but how did that make me feel? Loved, <laughs> encouraged, grateful, you know? The, like, because this person had served me, it encouraged my heart in a huge way, and I didn't have to tie shoes for the next six weeks. And it was beautiful. It was an amazing thing. That the idea is that God wants us to bring our service. How can we serve each other? How can we take care of each other? Where are their needs? Is there somebody who's hurting? Can you reach out and, and, and encourage them? Is there, is there somebody, is, is, is there a team that doesn't have enough people serving on it? Can you go and be a part of that team? Uh, just look for the needs. Where are the needs at? That's what I appreciate so much about Pastor Levi in that moment. He recognized there was a need. Okay, I can watch Kevin struggle through this or I can do something about it. I will take my own shoes and give them to him. It's beautiful. I absolutely love it. So he wants us to bring our service. Next thing, sacrifice. To bring our sacrifice. Sacrifice is all about letting go. This is what love is all about. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God 
that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I think about like, what does it mean to, to, to sacrifice, to let go? Man, it means just not holding anything back. So when you think about in the context, I love how the passage puts it, a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean? What does it mean to to sacrifice praise? That's such a strange choice of words. But I think about this moment when we're all singing these songs together and there's like normal Kevin, you know, halfway hand and I'm like, right, right? I'm just holding back. But those moments where I'm just like, "Mm, no, we're going all out. And you just sing out with everything you have. Who does that benefit? Well, it blesses God. But boy, howdy, my heart. There's just something in that, in that letting go, in that sacrifice of singing out my praise to God. I'll even take it so far as intentionally positioning myself behind somebody that I know is not having a good day and singing as loud as I can into the back of their head. (laughs) Just like, I am going to assassinate you with my voice in the best way possible. I'm going to sing out a sacrifice. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna hold nothing back. Why? Because God, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy to be lifted up. And so I will sing with all that I have. You need to be able to let go in order to take hold of something that's even greater. If God has something greater for you, but you're holding onto this thing, he's like, man, I wanna give you more. Let go of what you're holding on to so that you can take what I have for you. What is that? Reservation, uh, time. Time is a precious commodity in our day and age, and we guard our time significantly. It's like, what do you need to let go of in order to serve the people around you, in order to serve the church? Even to meet with God, kind of going back to that first point of being present, separating time, separating moments where you can actually sit down and read the word of God. Y'all, it's incredible. It's incredible. I don't know what your habits are. I don't know what your rhythms are. But to be able to sit and read through these words, the Bible says that it is alive for a reason. It's not just like some cool fiction novel that you read through. No, this, is, this will breathe life into your soul. It'll, 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 it'll breathe life into your bones. So your time is huge. Your resources, what have you been given? What do you have? Do you have cars? Give cars away, you know, and then ask for rides and be a blessing. Just whatever it is that God wants us to sacrifice. He wants us to bring sacrifice. And the last thing is to bring people. We started off with an invitation, right? You have been invited into this relationship, but that invitation comes with a plus one. It comes with a plus two. It comes with a plus five, a plus 10. It comes with a plus 10 to the 17th power, to the 157th power. You have open invitation to bring whoever and anybody you possibly can. And it's the spirit of the Samaritan woman who was so moved, so challenged, so taken back by Jesus and his interaction with her, right? He meets her at this well. And what was her response after meeting him? It says, so the woman, this is John 4, 28, 28, it says, so the woman left her water jar. She went to get water. She left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
I love the heart of bringing people to the party, bringing people to the experience so that they can see, so that they can know, so that they can encounter the God who has everything for them. Um, makes me think of Movement Conference, which signups are now live for next year. So that is encouraging and exciting. And it th- makes me think of the heart that my son had for his friends. Because I remember at one point him saying, if they can just see, if they can just experience God, then I know their lives will be different. That same heart of this Samaritan woman going, if they could just see this Jesus, then they would know. It's an invitation to community, to build. This door is wide open and anybody can come. Anybody can be a part of what God is doing in and through this place. But it's not just in this building. It's not just in front of your computer or in those campuses. No, it's, it's greater than this. An invitation to community is an invitation to family, to what God is doing through all of us. Because this building, at the end of the day, gets locked up and closed. You can't come back in. But the church, man, that's there at all times at 2 o'clock in the morning when you just found out that, you know, somebody's really sick and you need help. Uh, the, the, the church is open all the time because it's made up of people. An invitation to, to community looks, it can look like bringing somebody in here, which we should do, just bring more people, show them like, man, if they could just hear the songs, if they could just hear the word of God, if they could just see those smiling faces, then maybe they would know who Jesus is. Yes, this is part of it, but it's more than that. It's a football game at your house. My buddy Cole is a, is a great friend of mine in the Tetons and and, um, and he had been invited to watch a football game at a friend's house. And, <clears throat> and uh, there was no agenda behind it. It's just football, bourbon, beers, dudes, that's it. And he's like, I'm in, let's go, you know? And so he shows up and we're all hanging out. We hung out the whole night. And at the end of it, he's like, man, how do you guys all know each other? And we looked around and this wasn't planned. It's just how it was. We looked around, it's like, we actually all go to church together. And he's like, Really? He's like, I want to come check out that church. He starts coming to church at first, just sitting there, arms crossed, frown the whole time. God starts breaking down his heart, and now it's like we're standing on top of mountains, getting ready to snowboard in like the, the sunrise light. And he's like, can we pray? Get over here, guys. And he's grabbing everybody. Let's pray together, you know. And thank you, Jesus. It's just amazing the transformation, amazing the work that God can do in a person that he invites to know him. We started off this talk with an invitation. And that invitation extends into this moment because you can't experience the best that God has for you unless you accept the gift that he's given to you. He's provided this. He's given you this invitation to know him in a way that would change your life forever, to know him in a way that you can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, to be able to live fully. Jesus, as we, as we were talking about earlier, you know, he, he conquered death. Who has done that? Nobody has. But why did he do it? He did it for you. He did it. He lived a perfect life. Why? Because he knew that you couldn't live a perfect life. And that your sin, the things that are wrong that you have done would separate you from God forever. This massive cavern that you wouldn't be able to cross. But Jesus ends up being the bridge in that. He says, look, every wrong thing that you've ever done I'll pay for that myself. And the Bible talks about how he, he took the certificate of debt 
that was written against us and he canceled it through the cross. The only thing that you need to do is accept it. And it's as easy as just praying a prayer. Just an honest, heartfelt conversation between you and God saying, look, I don't have all the answers, but you've made it abundantly clear that you are who you say you are, satisfying an impossible amount of prophecy to to make it easy for us to believe that you are the son of God, that you are all of God in human flesh. All you have to do is pray and say, "I, I received that gift. And I would love to lead you in that prayer right now. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this place, the work that you've done in my heart as I've just sought to, to dive into these things, these truths, these desires that you have for me that give me my best life. And maybe there's people in this room right now who have never just stepped in to that faith-filled decision to just trust their life in your hands. I honestly believe there's no greater place for us to trust our lives than in your hands. And so God, if there's people in here, I pray that you would give them the boldness, that you would melt their heart, that you would give them a willingness to step forward in trusting you with their life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. Like I said, these aren't magic words. This is just your heart before God. I'm gonna ask the whole church to pray alongside you to know that we're standing and resolve with you as you make this dedication of your life to God. So would you just pray this? Say, dear God, I give you my life. I hold nothing back. Pray that you would give me your power and fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can bless your church with gifts. Thank you for what you did. Dying on the cross, rising from the dead, paying for my debt so that I can be with you. Help me grow in this relationship for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.